What's up, Rose? Can you hear me? Hey, what's good? I'm here. Yes, thank you so much for doing this. All right, cool. All right, ladies and gents, welcome to Envy Podcast. And before we get started, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been supporting season one all the way to season eight. And by the time you guys hear this, this will be season eight, episode 13. And um, when I first started the podcast, it was really dedicated to um, to highlight my fellow independent artists that I've met on the road, um, especially my fellow Filipino-American brothers and sisters who are in the music industry, those who are making some great music. And um, I want to give a shout out to DJ Wan Love and Soul Tree Music because they were the ones who was really um, promoting this artist lately. And I, ha- I got curious, you know, I had to check it out for myself. So I started seeing uh, her performance clips and um, her music. And for all those who are tuning in, if you are a Spotify, Apple Music user, you guys got to check out her album, We Rise. And three of my favorite songs on there is uh, Timik Ling, I'm the One, and Muwe Vambe. I don't know if I said it right, sorry. Muwe <laughs> Um, Not just that, she got a new single out called Rumble that just came out last uh, this past Friday, right? Um... And she's been the host of Power Talks for the AAPI Month, courtesy of Power Street Theater. She's been interviewing herself at, for the IG Live series that they got. And I just want to add that she's also the Songwriter of the Year for a 2022 International Indigenous Hip Hop Awards. And she's also very active in the community. I love what her music stands for. And um, she's part of Shiro Collective. It's dedicated to really um, empowering women arts and culture, advocacy, mentorship and career development resources, community insights and more and consulting. And um yeah, I just I'm really I'm really impressed with this album, like the the boom bap, the con the beats, the production of beats, the style of beats, the content and the delivery. As an MC, I'm really impressed with the with the quality of this album and um, I'm just proud of her. So without no further ado, mm. we got She Rose in the house. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, bless, bro. Thank you so much for our, all the kind words, man. Um, Thank you for doing this. By man. all means, like, I really, really appreciate all that love. And yeah, um, big up, big love to Wen Love and the sister Soul Tree, whose birthday it is today. Oh, what? Shout out to Soul Tree. She Happy is. Uh, she, she's. Uh, she's been saying that she's. Uh, she's in her Jesus year because she's 33 today. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. I love it. I yeah, love it. yeah, yeah. So no, uh, those. Uh, those two women have just been such a blessing, um, in the last year to really get <coughs> to. Yeah. Work with them more closely and spend more time with them. One love her and I actually go back a bit further, but, um, you know, life kind of takes you on a certain path and you meet people along the way. Certain people you just know that. You know, there's a reason why you met, but you don't necessarily know why until it all kind of comes together. So we've got a bit of a history there. Um, but, you know, huge inspirations, huge supporters of, uh, of culture um, and just of women. So super grateful for them. And yeah, the album is, um, the, the album was actually created specifically because of the Shiro Collective. Um, you know, I got it in my head that I was gonna launch a nonprofit to support the community and uh you know somehow some way my creative process involved writing what i felt was like the soundtrack to 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 the nonprofit based on all of the things that i was hearing um, from the women in my community that that really kind of led to us creating the nonprofit. um but yeah like it, it was like everything that i had heard 
um, I had to put to voice. And so, um, so that's how it all kind of happened. That's, that's where it started. I love it. And when they texted went love, I was like, yo, I, I got she rolls on the podcast. And she's like, yo, Marlon, she's official. And I'm like, where is I got to peep the album right now. And as soon as I, I listened to it, like I even had to text Bamboo. I was like, yo, Bamboo, you got to hear this, man. Um, and he's like, I'm going to check it out right now, you know, because it's, mm-hmm. it's important to share good music out there, you know, like, hey, you guys got to peep this shit. Oh, bless. Like, he's, he's got such a solid tribe, though, you know, like, but for sure, um, that, that's one thing that I'm super proud of. I, I actually think that when it comes to, like, Filipino participation and representation in hip-hop, like, we definitely hold it down, you know, like, we, we can look across the board and just, um, I don't know, I personally celebrate how many dope uh, practitioners of hip-hop that you see that are, are actually... Pinoy, you know, whether no that's MCs, um, writers, uh, DJs, artists, it. like exactly like we are all up in this game. Yep. <laughs> I love it, man. So yo, Rose, I take it back to day one with all my guests. I asked all my guests, where were you born and raised? Yeah. You know, and I always say that this is mm-hmm. the most complicated question anybody <laughs> ever asked me and I always get like a little funny about it. So it's all I was, good. I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Right. Um, my dad was in the U.S. Air Force. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was about a year old, we moved to Spain. And we lived in Spain for about four years. And um, then we came back to Panama City, Florida. We were there for about 11 months. <laughs> and then we moved to Venezuela for four years. Uh, and then we moved to the Philippines. And we were supposed to be there for three years. But Mount Pinatubo blew up, so we had to you know, evacuate out of there. So we ended up moving to Miami, Florida, because um, at this point, um, my grandparents were getting older. Uh, you know, my dad felt like we needed to be closer to them. So um, we were in Miami. And then four years after that, I moved up to North Florida to finish my high school and, you know, spent a couple of years doing college out there, but came back to finish college in Miami. Uh, and then I have since moved to Los Angeles, where uh Los Angeles is currently the place I have lived the longest um wow. like any one place like it has been 15 years in LA so um wow so so that's the complication <laughs> that's the complication so uh if people ask me where I'm from I say I'm Cuban Filipino uh <laughs> and I live in LA but I'm also right. from Florida <laughs> Right on, right on. Yeah, so let me cool. ask you, <laughs> so Rose, with all the countries and different communities you lived at, which community left like the most, which left the mark on you? Which community you would say has the most influence on you? I always just say hip hop, hip hop culture, the hip hop community. Um, it's it's the one place I always say that like ultimately I, I felt like was my home. But um, but the truth is that like. That's because every community that I lived in left a major mark on me. And, and so really like growing up, I never really felt like I was from anywhere because I always knew that I was um, I was there temporarily, you know, Crazy. so uh, but but I was there long enough to really absorb culture and, uh, you know, absorb uh, you know, what was what whatever was happening in that environment. Um, from a socio-economic, political, you know, aspect. 
right? So every single one of them is, has had a major effect. Um, and then there's also like, just like the timing of like, where, where were you at a certain point in your life, right? Like yeah. How much, and, and I, I remember so many things about every single one of those places, but kind of like where we are from a, um, a personal development and, and maturity perspective, like that always kind of gets factored in too. So um, every place is left a mark for different reasons. If you want to dial in, we can, but yeah. So all or hip hop, those yeah. are my, my immediate responses. What city would be your, where was you, uh, your junior high years? Where were you at? Like six, seven, eighth grade. Oh, okay. I, I like that you're, you're dialing it into like the technicality. So sixth, <laughs> seventh, eighth grade. Sixth grade was in the Philippines. Okay, cool. Um, we were on base. Um, that was in 1990, 1991, just as the Gulf War was kicking off. Um, so we were in the Philippines, but we were confined to base. And the only reason that we ever got to go off base was uh, like if we had a competition or, or something like that that we were doing. Um, and then Mount Pinatuba blew up, so we had to get evacuated out. So, uh, yeah, at 11, I was a refugee. And um, then we came to Miami and I did seventh and eighth grade in Miami. And then... Um, like literally in 1992, Hurricane yeah. Andrew hit. So yeah. we went through that too. So if you want to talk about formative years and you're, you know, you're making me really think about that. Yeah, like yeah. I, I experienced, let's see, um, uh, two different countries and two different sets of natural disasters back to back in, in, right. in that time frame. And then you're all four years of high school, freshman year to senior year. What cities would that be? Ah, that was... Um, freshman and sophomore year in Miami and then my um, junior and senior year were in North Florida in a small town called Lake City kind of small town that has one high school for the entire county I was one out of 11 Hispanics and one out of three Asians mm. yeah that's crazy yeah let me <laughs> <laughs> so so you spent I I would say formative years was definitely Philippines and and Miami. Yeah, I get yeah. that. So when I think of Miami or Florida, first the, the first two when you when we talk about especially when we say hip hop, first thing I think about is two live crew, you know? Um For sure. Uh, two live crew and I and then the later years I would say, okay. Trick Daddy and Rick Ross, right? And the later years, but like the 80s was all about two live crew. So let me ask you this, man. As as a little girl or even as an adult, how does that affect someone who moves around a lot? How does that affect someone as far as like developing friends or staying in touch with friends? I bet it's crazy difficult, right? Um, you know, I think the kids are really resilient naturally. Yeah. And I think that being a military kid. Um, you're you're kind of raised to be tough and independent, you know. Like we might like even my dad would also just be away on tour, right? Like we were stationed wherever we were stationed, and then my dad would have to go and do what they call TDY, right? Like these are short like tours of duty, like a couple of days to a couple of weeks to a couple of months, right? So um, so there was always a sense of um, us needing to just. Uh, you know, just, just always be aware of where we were, recognize where we were, and, like, um, 
realized that there were certain like safety things that we had to take into consideration just based on on some of like the military things that might have been going on in those areas. But um, but it was also to, you know, like not not create more distractions or trouble than what my mom could, uh, you know, she, she had a lot of other things to think about too. Like dad probably was away and busy working or, you know, like I said, like gone for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. So, you know, just being like, being resilient and being independent and, uh, you know, looking out for myself and looking out for my sister and looking out for my mom to a right. Like those were the things that kind of um, stood out. And then like, you, yeah, like I was always social. I, w- I would make friends, but um, you, you always know that you're eventually going to say goodbye to those friends too, right? And there was a couple of times that, yeah, you, you try to um, stay connected and be pen pals, but as kids, like that doesn't necessarily stick. And of course, this is before social media. And, That's crazy, and right? So, yeah, so, so there wasn't ever really a sense of permanence, but as a kid, you don't really notice these things quite as much, you know? I, I think mm. that when you look back on life and people start asking questions like, so where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Like, how do you identify? All of a sudden, like, now you're like, wait, I don't know how to answer that question. Because <laughs> it's, it's not it's just not the same thing right like we didn't um you don't have that same kind of permanence but we definitely had a lot of adventure um you know i, I think that we had a lot of other opportunities it was great to be able to see the world the way that we did and to hell yeah you know not just be a tourist and you know check out a place based on a schedule and a bus and you know uh, we, we actually got to live in places and granted my parents made it a point to take us to all the things that made um you know those countries unique and special as well you know like we we went to museums um we um we we did the touristy things but we also like lived there and we knew people and you know had people that you know kind of became like our adopted family so to speak right like like in venezuela for example um my dad's secretary we were super tight with her family um her parents i would call them like grandma and grandpa and we'd spend you know twice a year we'd, we'd go out to their their they had like a big ranch out in like kind of what would be like the uh, the midwest of you know the equivalent of the midwest right like you know so for us like if we were going to go to arkansas type thing right like that was like right. the, the comparison right but we'd go out there and, and spend like anywhere from like two weeks to a month on on that ranch you know um chasing monkeys and trees and, and uh, macaws and, uh, you know, trying not to get eaten by piranhas in the river and you know, <laughs> rustling up some cattle and, you know, hand feeding baby cows. Right. So so those are things that like, you know, we, we got to enjoy pretty much anywhere that we went, just like really diving in and understanding what was happening locally, um, what the what the sentiment was. And like I said, like all the socioeconomic aspects of what was happening there it wasn't just about, oh, they have a beautiful beach. It's like you really knew these people. You really knew their culture. I love it. So dad's Cuban and mom's Filipina. Um, where did they meet? Where did mom and dad meet? So mom and dad met in the Philippines. My dad, um, he he was in high school when the Vietnam War started, right? Wow. So, um, he actually could have opted out and just like gone to Spain because of course like he, he at that time uh, was Cuban and, and some of the family was it was actually like still in Spain. But my dad always kind of felt like he owed the United States like a, a debt of gratitude, right? For for pretty much taking um, his family in 
um, you know, after the, the Cuban Revolution and, and allowing the United States to become their home. So he actually was someone that wanted to join the military. Yeah. Um, and he ended up joining the Air Force. And so that's how he ended up meeting my mom in the Philippines. She was a student um, at the time. Um, and uh, and yeah, so they met. She was um, living with family and going to school. And, and it sounds like they met just through uh, mutual friends that liked to go out. And they just always had a love for music and they always had a love for dancing. And, um, you know, my, my dad was one of those... Uh, he was just like, my dad was the life of the party and my mom was also kind of like the life of the party, so to speak, right? So, um, but they, they would always say that they started off as friends. Um, and, um, you know, my mom actually didn't realize that my dad had a crush on her, apparently. She was actually, <laughs> when she finished school, she was gonna go back to Cebu, yeah. right? And, um, and so when she was, you know, getting ready to leave to go back, uh, my dad was like, I, I, I just, I can't let you leave. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm in love with you. You have to marry me. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> he loves he loves him some Filipina. He knows what's up. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I think more than anything, because like when you ask my dad, like, what was it about my mom? He always said that um, he he really what he loved about her was her heart and her mind um, and just like her strength of character. Right. Like he loved her confidence yeah. he loved the way that she showed up for people. Um, he, he always thought that she was like an intelligent woman. Like she wasn't just like, you know, like a bubblehead, right? Like she, yeah, like she liked to, you know, have fun and, and they had that in common. They really liked enjoying life, but she was about things and she had values and principles. And like, that's what my dad really gravitated to, um, about my mom. Like she was hardworking, she was resourceful, you know? Um, so, so those are the things that like, when you ask my dad, like, um, I was really impressed. I was like, all right, go dad. Like, you know, like where, where's the workshop on that? Like, you know, you're telling young men, like what, what really matters in, in a relationship? Where's the workshop on that? <laughs> yo, where's the, yo, where's the workshop on that pops? Yo, you're half Cuban and Filipina. That means you're fierce. You got that fire in you, you know, like you're, you're mixing both, like both hardworking people, you know, like, um, let me ask you this like what was your introduction to hip-hop did you first hear it in the philippines or miami definitely like that that was in the philippines it was actually very first off like in california because when we left venezuela um and we were moving to the philippines we did a road trip across the country and then we spent like three weeks in california yeah with my family that was out here and um we went to this house party and I was hanging out with my my little cousin Kim, and um, and that yeah, like that was the first time I ever heard hip hop. I have no idea what I what I heard that day. You know, I was just in the zone. We were dancing like crazy. My dad thought we were just you know gone nuts, and he was like surrounded by a bunch of like little crazy animals jumping up and down. And my legs were jelly by the end of the night. Um, but then in the Philippines, like right after we we got there, we were staying at. Um, at this like on-base hotel called the Mabuha Inn. And you know, back in the day, you, you if you watched TV, you only had a couple of channels. It was like, what, like maybe like 10 channels on, on like the main one and then like the other set, which was like another like five. But, um, but anyway, so they used to have like these variety shows and they had this one um, Filipino variety show that happened to come on one of the first days that we were there. And um, this female MC, came out and and like that's the first time I ever saw 
someone perform it. Like I'd heard it at this party a couple of weeks before when I was in Cali, but the first time I ever saw it was this female MC from the Philippines. And I remember she was like all in white with her long hair and like, just like the whole hairstyle, you know, was, was so like 1990 for sure. Like just, just close your eyes and picture that, you know, or, you know, if, if you weren't around back then, then, you know, Google it. <laughs> but, but, you know, super, uh, I was just a not like she just was such a baddie, you know, back then. And I look back on it and I just think about like, man, like I wish if I had only known where my life would have ended up, I, I would have made it more of a point to know who she was. And I, I still think it'd be super cool to be able to figure that out and just, you know, check out what her total catalog was and if she's mm. still around and all that other stuff, you know, but God only knows, right? Like this was like 1990. You so, never yeah. know. You know, she she definitely left like a, a strong impression on on like ten year old me for sure. For sure. Now in Miami, what hip hop do you recall hearing in Miami as a sixth grader, seventh grader? Like, oh, you mean what? when we when we started going to teen clubs when we were in seventh grade? Like, so Miami <laughs> used to have teen clubs in the summertime. Like my seventh grade, uh, my my seventh grade year end trip. You like you would have thought like, oh, maybe they took them to a museum. Maybe they took them to go meet. Uh, you know, somebody from like the local government or something. No, like my my teachers, God bless them. I thought about this like not that long ago. My my teachers for our seventh grade year end activity chose to take us to a day club. Okay, it was Baja Beach Club in Dope. Coconut Grove, right? And so, yeah, like Miami is infamous as a booty shaking kind of a town, <laughs> right? So, so let's just say we, we were definitely all about that booty shake at that point in time. So you're, you're totally right. It was uh, definitely uh, Life crew, yeah. Uncle Luke, you know, like salt and pepper was on the light side of things, you know, right? Like yeah. that, that was, salt and pepper was the clean version of, yeah, yeah. you know, what we were listening to. So, yeah. so definitely a good time. Like not, not, not the kind of thing that, um, you know, it was fun. It was, it was definitely a lot of fun. Um, Miami was just always kind of like a little bit of a wild town, but um, nothing that was necessarily going to be like, oh, like hip hop is life, you know, like at, at that right. point in time, it was like hip hop is, it's time to shake your rump, <laughs> you know, like that's about it. And then of course, like you start to like, at that point in time, like, you know, as a young woman starting to grow up too, like you start to have like feelings about what what is being said and how it's being like presented right so you know like there's there's that aspect of it too so I, i'm not going to tell you that that version of hip-hop was um it was fun but it wasn't love what would you say like the top three albums you were listening to as a teenager high school years what, what was like your top three albums oh my goodness if you're talking like are, are you talking hip hop albums or are you talking like album albums? You know what? Either one, like hip hop albums or any any genre. Like, what were you bumping in high school? You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Okay. So, and keep in mind, like, there's like a whole like four year period there, so I have to like think about like where where yeah. was I? So top, top three most memorable ones that that you look back like, wow, that shit like helped me, influenced me, or got me through life. You know. So the, the 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 score was definitely like key. That's one of them definitely for key. sure. There's actually like if you go back a little bit earlier than that, um, there's this other uh, 
Beck's first album that um, that was like that was like that was I, so first of all like whenever you're in, in, in high school at least like my experience of high school like and, and in the 90s it was a lot different in that I felt like you were probably more exposed to a, a variety of music versus now where I, I think sometimes it's really easy for folks to just kind of pigeonhole themselves into only listening to one particular style like back then again fewer channels meant that um people were probably cross-checking or you had certain channels that kind of presented more variety overall right so um yes yeah, so i would say like the beck album was was a big one for me right um, on right the on myths like i loved violent femmes but but yeah, like high school, high school was like definitely a mix of a, of a variety of kinds of music. Like Red Hot Chili Peppers were huge. Um, Cypress Hill was huge. Yes. Um, Beastie Boys were huge. Um, the Smiths. Again, like that, like that might be a different vein for some folks. Um, and then there's like, you know, there's the music that you were listening to. And then there's the music that you kind of like discovered later on as well. No doubt. Top three MCs that really influenced your style. Looking back, like, wow, listening to them, it influenced my style. You know what I mean? Um, you know what? I, I And I have, to, I have to just, I have to say this out loud. Yeah. Um, I always hate it when people, like, <laughs> want, like, a, a rating system. Like, like, they want, like, a top three, a top <laughs> five, a top ten. I'm like, man, like. That I always end up feeling like I'm on like some kind of a game show, right? Like, <laughs> family feud or something, and I'm, you know, what, what, how is this going to net out? Am I going to miss something that was like super key? But um, but top MCs, um, doesn't have to be three. Was, yeah, well, okay, good. I'm I'm glad you kind of picked up what I was putting down because you're not going to get three. <laughs> <laughs> but I just really had to think about it because it was it was different things from different folks, and I think if you listen to the album, you'll recognize that it's not just one thing like you probably get a sense that it there's a lot of variety in there so like you like muéveme a lot right like muéveme is actually like a little bit of a kickback to like again seventh grade um el general was was a really big deal in miami which was you know el general is, is some of like the earliest versions of reggaeton that that you can imagine right mm. so muéveme is actually a little bit of a nod to um like that kind of a vibe and, and to your point like acknowledging like those Miami roots but like top MCs definitely um, Black Thought Most Def um, just talk about like a pivotal album um, Raucous Records yeah. Sound Bombing like, oh, yeah. like that's that's what really that's what really kind of stood out to me like that like same thing like back then I think we had more mixtapes that, that came out as well but like um, Respiration is on Sound Bombing 2 and, and that is one of those songs for me that is like everything you've got you know Common on that you've got Most Def on that right and like that one was definitely one of those songs where like it's probably one of those songs that made me fall in love with hip hop you yeah. know that just like if, if I had to pick one song that defined hip hop or how I would want someone to like know hip hop for the first time that's definitely one of those songs that I would put up there and of course like Lauren Hill, um, you know, if you're talking about albums that came out when I was in high school that were pivotal, she was amazing. Queen Latifah for different reasons, like um, just like her energy, her tone, her voice, her presence, like um, what she represented early on, uh, the, the, how multifaceted she is. And you always kind of got a sense of that 
from her. So just different people for different reasons. Um, Portishead, like the uh, Dummy was an album that I probably had on repeat way more than I should have uh, <laughs> early yeah. on. Mazzy Star uh, was also like another one that I listened to a lot. Outcast, the Quemini album. Um, classic, classic. Yeah, yeah. Classic shit. Exactly. Yeah. DJ Shadow, Jameer, like, you know, the, the list like literally goes on, like Diggable Planets. Um, another voice that I just thought was really amazing, like just like unique and just grounding was like Bahamadia. Yeah, like, I definitely hear the influence of that in your lines for sure, Bahamadia. Yeah, like she, um, there's just something unique about her tone and her voice. And then again, like in terms of her content and the things that she would speak to, um, I really related to. And, and I think what I really like about her is that she just sounds so authentic and effortless. Like meaning like she, she never sounds like she's trying to... Um, impress you like this is just who she is and she's just gonna give it to you like raw like that you know like not raw as in trying to be hard but she's just gonna be really genuine in what she has to say in that moment on that track um and and i always really respected her for that no doubt between foxy brad and little kim who did you like more ah man like these okay like you like you definitely come with these like left field questions <laughs> um Foxy Brown or Little Kim? Like I have to tell you, they weren't. I didn't necessarily. It goes. It goes back to like. I, I would want to say at the time, like I really wouldn't have appreciated that question, just because I, I, they weren't. The, it goes back to like, were they the kind of female MCs that I really wanted to be like, or you know, like I probably didn't really bump their music because it just wasn't like how I wanted to like perceive myself or other women. You know, like more than anything, but I, I really don't think I can answer that because, like, I go back I and did. I think about like different songs and and kind of, um, I think that they kind of had highlights at different points. Mm-hmm. You know, I think earlier on I probably would have said if I had to pick, I probably would have gone with Foxy Brown. Um, but then, like, I feel like Little Kim did some other things like later on too. Yeah. And, so that's it's I, I I'm just gonna call it ladies even in, in in the space and by the way like not to take away from what they did like they definitely um, yeah created a lane and they were queens of that lane and I and I think that they are definitely the inspiration for a lot of women that have had a, had have had success in hip hop but again like when I go back to like where I was at that time in my life you know like these days I'm very much like look you know. Um, if, if you're confident and strong, that's the way that you want to express yourself. More power to you, by all means, right? Like, if like body autonomy, life autonomy, you know, you do you. But when I was younger, and and you know, maybe also just because of the things that were happening in Miami and um, like behaviors that would happen, like you go out to a club and you know, um, men would just grab you, you know, like you're just like those kinds of things, right? Like anything that felt like it was perpetuating that expectation used to really piss me off, you know? So, I, that... I feel you, I feel you. And the reason why I ask, because um, I think the 90s is such a crazy magical time in, in hip hop because mm-hmm. 
Just like there was space for Little Kim and Foxy to sell records, so did Lauren Hill. They all sold a lot all at the same time. Like there was a lane for Foxy and there was a lane for Lauren Hill. And um mm-hmm. yeah, I miss all three, you know. Um and I know Little Kim's still out here ripping it on stage, but I could hear some more. I, I wish I want to hear some more from Foxy Brown and, and Lauren Hill. I want to hear more. I wish they were still out here in the forefront like that. Um, but let me... So, you graduate high school. In, in your mind, what, what were you going to do next? What was the plan after? Like, all right, this is what I want to do next. There, there was no options, man. Like, I had a Filipino mother and a Cuban mm-hmm. father. Like, the college was the only thing to do after high school. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, and mind you, I actually, I wanted to take a year off because um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But um, anyways, at the time I was, I had started off as a psychology major, probably because I was clearly confused and trying to figure myself out. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and, and I just think like the human mind is, is really interesting. But that first year in college um, didn't go the way I wanted it to. The, the courses weren't connecting for me the way that I was expecting them to. Um, and I just wasn't feeling confident about it. I, I didn't really have a lot of support in my family for that career um, choice. Like, you know, like, of course, they wanted me to be a doctor or be a lawyer or be a nurse or, you know, like any any of the usual suspects, we'll say. So um, so I transitioned out. I switched schools. Um, long story short, I, I changed majors, I want to say, four times. And I also changed colleges like four times. So um Coming out of that, I went into journalism and mass communications, which felt like a good fit because like what at least at, at that point I'd figured out was um, I wanted to be in a creative space. I wanted to be around creative people and I liked telling stories. And and, and I say that because like at one point I started off in journalism um, and there were several things about that industry, about the news industry that really turned me off. Like this idea of chasing tragedy really, really, really bothered me at, at a certain point this idea of like building a career based off of uh, being the first person on the scene to tell the world about something really horrific and you know um not uh, I, i'd rather be someone involved in helping to solve the situation than just um being like you know the first person there with with a camera crew so uh, i i wanted to talk about like the the more uplifting sides of things, right? So, and 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 so, of course, like music and film, I I always kind of found to be the industries that inspired that the most, right? That gave people dreams, um, that uh, gave people hope. So that's what I ended up focusing on. And and so when I came out of college, I, I was lucky enough to start um, an internship at uh, at Viacom for MTV, Nickelodeon, and VH1. Um, yeah, that was pretty, that was um, a, a really exciting and unique experience. Um, but then, yeah, like that's, that's really where I would say, like, I, I started to like figure out the things that I was passionate about. Like my career has like taken a lot of different twists and turns, but um, that passion for, that passion and that love for just being around creatives, being around people that are telling like powerful stories um, and making music, like those are the things that I think have always really like stuck with me. And anytime my career has taken me in a slightly different route, um, that's always what I, f- I find myself like chasing back into my life. Dope, dope. At what point did you start writing your own rhymes and recording? 
at, at what point did you start even messing around with it you know recording gathering your beats writing to it um well so when i was in college in tallahassee like a, a, a homie had gotten his hands on some music equipment so that was the first time that we started messing around with music and um like working on beats and writing songs and stuff like that so that's that's the first time that that ever was a thing right and then like later on like my my sister's boyfriend now husband um you know we all like lived together in a house in miami he got equipment and so we would work on certain things but i, I at that point it wasn't really anything that was at a point worth releasing and, and same thing like i had friends like you know that were in bands and stuff like that but it wasn't anything significant it wasn't um so so i had just kind of stayed in that space of i'm gonna i just enjoyed working with people on music so i worked with a band called the spam mars all stars i helped with like their street marketing i i was um their box office manager i was their merch manager stuff like that and then i would also oh. do things like um like i would write uh if, if if i had friends that were in bands and like they needed um a bio or they needed help putting their websites together or you know just just like kind of like always like a soundboard for what else you might want to do to help position yourself or market yourself or get your stuff out there and so um when i moved to california and i was working for a wellness company like all that kind of continued just through the community um and then like at one point when the economic downturn happened in in 2008 and like everyone was laid off i had a year off pretty much and so i took that year um to spend a lot of time with family in Las Vegas and cuz you know it's it's family that I had never really grown up around cuz I always lived somewhere else and um and I also took that year to focus more on um tapping into to the creative world because I I'd start my my career had started to get like very digital marketing focused which is not exactly what brought me joy so I started working on um on you know just Uh, I, there there was a, a producer that like lived across uh the the street from me so I would help him work on on his stuff and then that's actually how I also met my husband Artson like I was in Vegas um connected with like the hip hop community out there all the b-boys and b-girls out there um they had told me about Artson and his music um and he was actually at that point looking to walk away from from that so but you know the timing was right we met um other people told me about his music i got copies of his music and i actually was um really really impressed and so as um like the more that we kind of you know spoken i'd ask him questions i was like well you know you're 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 not on iheart radio you're not on pandora you're not on this like your website this that whatever and you know and that's when he was telling me that he was actually thinking about walking away from it and um and i i told him like well look let me help you with all that because oh. i've got time and i'm looking to build a portfolio so like let's just you know um tag team on this and so from there a relationship kind of um evolved into love right, right on right on <laughs> so um and then it's it's just continued to be a, a partnership ever since then so um we've continued to work on music like we we worked on I think at this point we've worked on like eight albums together. Wow. Um, from from A to Z from uh some some of them some of them were like, you know, the first two albums like I was missing and War Cry were based on songs that he had already had that were at various stages of of completion. So it was a matter of like taking this this one album breaking that up into EPs and, and finishing those off. 
and then pushing those out and then starting a couple of other EPs with him from scratch and all of his other albums before we actually went in on mine. So um, that kind of goes back to like what you were asking earlier about like who have been like the most like influential um, MCs in my life. Like Artson is definitely like top them all, you know. Props, uh, yeah, props Artson, no doubt. N- n- yeah, exactly. Like n- n- nothing tops um, the impact that his music has had on me. Um, not only just because I think he's a great artist and a great writer, but the proximity to that creative process and being able to participate in that creative process um, gave me so much experience um, and perspective um, before I, I ever thought about producing an album of my own. You know, like I, I didn't ever think that that was going to be a thing. I always was like, okay, like I want to do a song or, you know, I, I want to drop vocals on somebody else's song and that would have been perfectly fine. Um, Artson's actually the one that pushed me to do an entire album and like the rest is kind of history. No doubt. I know like you, you've had many experiences of being an executive producer for his album. Um, what does that entail to, to see the completion from, from top to bottom, right? Like as your role as an executive producer, what do you think is your main role for him, like for his project? Well, so my, my main my main role is to always help him be his best, you know, or yeah. to help him deliver something that is going to be impactful and memorable and is going to like meet a certain level of like quality of execution from a holistic perspective, Mm. right? So um, it entails everything from like when he's thinking about a concept of an album, like we talk about those things. Like we talk, like we we actually like, if if he's gonna, if he's gonna request like a bunch of beats to comb through, like, and keep in mind, like there's a couple of different ways that albums happen, right? Like sometimes there's albums that happen because you've got a concept and you've got something that you're already working on. Like he's he's got, albums that he's worked on with people that you know have started from um tracks that he plays on his on his native american flute you know or or you know a certain style that he's going for and then there's the albums that you know he's got a concept for and then we'll check in with a couple of different producers all all producers that you know he'll select or that he's come to know for different reasons they'll send their catalogs we'll go through those beats we'll organize the beats you know based on on the vibe that he's going for you know, um, he'll he'll go through the list of features that he wants to include. Then there's like um, the writing and like the creation of, of the hooks and the recording sessions. Um, then there's like the whole process of getting those um, those features on there and you know finishing uh, the mixing and and the mastering. And then on top of that, there's like the artwork. There's the you know, release and launch plan and strategy. There's the press releases, like, you know, there's the photography, like there's the videos, there's all of those things. And and those are all things that we get to work on together. So, you know, for, for me, first and foremost, like every artist should always be in control of their work. You know, like I don't, I don't, Artsin's his own artist, you know, like my job is to be first and foremost, his sounding board and to hold him accountable. And, and that means like I share my opinions from a professional perspective. Um, and I, you know, when, when he needs me to be a coach, I'm there to be his coach. When he needs me to be a critic, then I'm a critic. When he needs me to um, 
get hands on and knock things out that are within my skill sets to do, then that's what I do. You know, like if it means like, hey, we've got stuff to produce, um, you know, like those are skill sets that I have. Like, like, so it's, it's, there's a lot of organization that comes into play. There's a lot of strategy that comes into play. Um, but a lot of it is, is, is like a really cool balance between both of us. You know, like there's a lot of respect for um, each other's working style and, and, and perspective. And I think that's why it's been um, such a rewarding and successful partnership um, across everything that we do. So, so your debut album, right? Uh, we Rise, 16 Joints. Who did the production on this? All of the beats are produced by B-Boy Wicked. Wow. So, yeah, he is just a phenomenal partner in, in everything. Um, so easy to work with, so creative, so multifaceted. Like, that guy, like, you know, you... you. He's, I, I just don't know what he's not good at. I'm trying to figure that out, you know? Like, I... I <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just great. Um, like whether trap it's, nine, man, that's my yeah, shit. Yeah, he's a he's a b boy. He's an MC. He's uh, you know, <laughs> teaching at University of Texas. He's just he's just always got such a great attitude. Um, you know, uh, when when you're working with different artists, right? Like some some folks like are you know not as organized as others. Like some like maybe like don't take feedback in the same way. And like. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is all of like he is like I'm telling you like when I say like he's just a pleasure to work with he yeah. is a total pleasure to work with you know um, we've been working with him probably like I feel like consistency I, I want to say since like 2017 2018 um, and every single project is is, is a pleasure uh, and and you know also just the execution is amazing so I love it so like what did you learn about yourself transition like from from being an executive producer to becoming a full-fledged artist what are you learning about yourself recording your first album what what have you been learning about yourself as an artist recording this mm-hmm. uh i think confidence is always a big one yeah you know like i i think um getting past there's 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 the creative part where you're just really amped up on on what you think you want to say and how you think it's going to come out and then actually getting it to come out um in that way is 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 something that um takes work you know um and and particularly like to feel confident about it so i think that it's it's been a lot of growing in that way i think that just like the skill sets around writing and um that's that's been like a big space to grow in like finding finding out what your flow is um how to adapt your flow how how your flow can evolve depending on what a track is like it's been really rewarding for me to just feel like i've seen growth over time um you know through the production of of that album and then like on tracks like since i still feel like like i'll go back and i'll listen to we rise now and yeah um, I, i can definitely feel like there's certain songs that um were written like later on and and probably also like the circumstances that that were happening around like, there's 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 the songs that you write because you know I had a plan and um and I had a vision for the album and and this there's an intention behind each one of them right but then there's like the songs that are on there because something happened you know and I I had to get something out right like ancestors <laughs> yeah. is one of those 
Ancestors is one of those songs, right? And and Ancestors is like, yes, it's the last song on the album. It's also the last one to get added to the album. Um, but it got added because there were, there was like a political situation happening in Cuba. There was riots happening in Cuba, and that's like the first time that that had ever really been seen since the revolution. And, and it was really emotional for my father. Um, and um, and so that track is for him. Um, but you know, imagine like these things are happening. There's an emotional reaction that's being triggered and and wanting to voice something and give my father a chance to voice something. But of course, at that point, like that was the last song, meaning I had all the experience already of writing all these songs before that and all of the experience already of having been in the studio recording those songs. So what I was able to bring to the table on that song, you know, I think it's probably different than um, than maybe something else that I'd recorded earlier. You know what I mean? You know, it's crazy too. They say it takes your whole life to make your first album. You know, hmm. it, it takes your whole life to kind of like gather those experiences, gather everything and let it come out in the booth. And um, I, I, I often hear that a lot. It takes the artist a whole lifetime to make the first album. I believe it too. You know, like your your debut album is a statement. It says, it says a lot about you as an artist, you know. Um, what I what struck me was you definitely rapping English, of course, but you have tracks like Tinikling where you're rapping in Tagalog when you said Mayabin and Bisaya. I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit, she's talking shit. Son. Like I, I was like, yo, I was like, I texted Bamboo. I was like, dog, you gotta hear this shit right now, Bamboo. I, I sent it to him, and um, when you when you started rapping in Spanish and more feminine, the ancestors like ancestors where you were talking about your dad's story it coincides with your bio because i read your bio too like i'm like she ain't lying y'all like this is for real what she's saying you know like um you represented the cuban people and the filipino people in this album you should be proud of yourself you know what i mean i appreciate it no and i actually i think that that statement that it takes your whole life to write your first album i think yeah. that that's actually brilliantly put yeah um And yeah, I think that that's true. I, I think that that first album, I really did want it to represent so much, you know, about all the different experiences that I'd had in my life and what what life had kind of maybe taught me until now. And, and at the same time, like, you know, the album is a way of like me, like giving flowers to all the different people that I felt like had earned it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, But uh, but yeah, that that Tinikling is a funny one because uh, <laughs> yeah, Spanish Spanish I grew up speaking. I'm I'm definitely a dominant English thinker and a dominant English speaker, and yeah, you know, like I'll, I'll slay in English all day long, right? Like no problem. Spanish, um, depending on who I'm hanging out with, you know, because like how how often I'm using it and speaking it, and also how much tequila I've had. <laughs> uh, can be uh, a, a bit different, you know. Um, so, oh, but, but it'll it'll flow, right? It'll it'll, it'll flow, right? Yeah. Um, because of all the different places that we lived, unfortunately, I didn't get to grow up speaking my mother's dialect. Um, and keep in mind, like my mom is from Cebu, so her dialect was not Tagalog. Her dialect. It, this is even confusing because I've asked her this question. I was like, "Mom, what what language did you guys speak?" And, and she'll say Filipino. I'm like, "Mom, like, it's." But apparently, like when she was in school, they had some. I think that they were teaching like a version that was almost like a mashup of of like Cebuano and Tagalog. You know, yeah, like, yeah. 
So, you know, I, I, it's one of those things, like, I feel like I need to try to, like, dial in to better understand, but that sounds like what it was. And so, like, you know how it is. Like, there's, like, a lot of words that are similar, but there's also words that are different. So, um, so on one end, like, we weren't around a lot of other Filipinos when we were growing up. Um, so there wasn't really a way for me to learn, like, this is before, um, you know, Babel and, and all these other like language apps that you have now and, and like I said even today you're I'm, I'm not going to find um you know a, a, you know a course on uh Cebuano for example right so even now like even I've, I've kind of like resisted learning Tagalog just because I'm like that's not that's technically not my mother's dialect but the truth is is that um it means a lot to me to be able to learn a, like learn a language um yeah of our people and, and you know again Philippines is one of those countries that has multiple dialects you know dozens of dialects quite frankly so you know Tagalog it is because even today like most of my friends um, you know here that are, are Filipina um, all speak Tagalog I have found a couple that you know are also working on on learning Visayan so that's the exciting part like now like, I actually feel like I have Filipino community uh, which is something that I felt like I really missed growing up. Like, I was always super close with my family, but just like that extension of, you know, Filipino culture and community is, is something that I think like we're really fortunate to have here in SoCal. Uh, um, yeah. You know, so it's, uh, and, and what's exciting too is that I feel like we're also in an era of um, our generation wanting to go back and better understand um, Filipino culture from a pre-colonial perspective right so um so that, that's kind of that's kind of where we are but yeah going back to that song in particular like when I, I i went out of my way to try to include um you know a song that would have some some of our dialect represented in it right so it was a tricky song to write because i had some things in my mind that i had to then like go back and try to figure out how to translate that and so I ran all my translations uh, by my by my mom and, and you know, and, and she she approved them, first of all. Right. <laughs> so, but then when the song came yeah. out, all of my aunties, uh, you know, it, it, it created some heat, some uh, panic. They're like, oh, my God, they're going to, you know, like this is going to offend people, you know, like they're going to think that this is like, you know, um, so arrogant and, and whatever. And I was like, nah. Like that's that's exactly what that song is about. Like sometimes you gotta talk yo shit. So I, I I'm not gonna apologize for that. And, and and I have to tell you, the irony of that is is that you know like the more that I was kind of just like doing my my research on it, I was like apparently the you know the Saiyans were kind of also just known for 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 being a little like highbrow as it is, you know. So I was like nah, like like the. the 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 statement stands <laughs> and own it own it you know there you go that's exactly what, what i was gonna say not just not just sometimes we have to talk our shit but we have to own our shit that's that's like if that's what it is that's what it is don't be ashamed of it because that's what it is that's that's the truth you know and um yeah <laughs> it's just the truth and you know what music is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable sometimes because it is the truth and you know what if you make some people uncomfortable i think you're doing something right um good word mm-hmm. and i gotta say though like I, one of the things that I, I i think has been like a really dope experience is that like that song i keep what i hear back from 
all my sisters that listen to it, all, all of my Penai sisters that listen to it, like they love that song, you know? Yeah, and man, that, I love that That's special, exactly. Like there, there's something about that song that makes people feel proud, you yeah. know, and feel like they can, you know, they can just own who they are, you know? So um, if, if that's, if that's the bar, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to have feel like I, I hit that bar. No doubt. So you wear many hats, all right? Which ones do you like more? Writing, recording, or performing? Oh, man. You with your questions. Like, uh, <laughs> writing, performing, or recording? Um, you know what? I'm going to tell you... Which one do you like the most? I'm probably going to have to say performing. Yeah. Good and, answer. Correct answer. Good. And I'm going to tell you why, though. But there's a reason why, right? Because, like, <laughs> the, like the, the writing process, first of all... You know, sometimes it comes like a bolt of lightning. Sometimes it's messy. Like sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes you're just like, you know, in a puddle of emotions. So that doesn't feel great. But, you know, you're still like in the process of trying to figure it out. And so it's like, you know what I mean? It's like a painting before you can see it, but it's in your head, you know? And like, there's this whole, like, am I going to paint what I, what I see in my mind? Is it going to match? Is it going to be at that level? You know? And then like the recording part is like, same thing. Like you're working through it. Um, there's like... You know, how authentically did I deliver on that? Like, did I really hit it? Could I have done that better? You know, like, there's, there's a million and one things that go on. Like, by, by the time you get around to the performing, like, you know, you've, you've had the song. Like, hopefully the song is, like, you've got a recorded version of it that you're proud of. You, you've had an opportunity to really, like, master it and then just be in it, you know, and, and, and bring it to life. So, so that's why I think, like, the performing aspect of it is is probably the most fun it's 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 nerve-wracking in its own way right because on one end you no know doubt. like i'll say this like performing a song or just performing for the first time in front of anybody is rough yeah. you know, there's, there's okay. the nerves that come over it but like you know you're you're an artist too right like there's certain songs that like you know that you're just in your pocket yeah. right and 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 then you can just have fun and you can just be yeah. you no right? doubt. And, and um, yeah, so so that's the thing that I kind of look for now. Um, and and I think on top of that, there's the, there's, you you also kind of realize, like, you know, you can bring a song to life in a different way, depending on, yep. you know, what's the vibe in the room or, or how you want. So, so it's almost like it's never really over, right? Like, you're always learning about yourself by... Yes performing that same song over and over again in front yes. of a different crowd on a different day in a different yes. situation right amen but, but the difference is is that you're you're not still trying to figure something out it's just you know how are you showing up in that day right it's it's a moment that brings you to like complete presence in the moment and that's what's dope about it no doubt and it comes with nothing but repetition uh practice 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 the more you do it on stage the more you do it in front of people through the years that anxiety and self-consciousness will go away and you just get more comfortable on stage and the more you'll be in your pocket the more you'll be looking comfortable up there um i just think it comes with time you know mm -hmm. uh, mm, Tell me about your role as a host in Power Talks. How did you land the IG Live gig where you were hosting for a month for AAPI Month? How did you get that? Um, you know, that was just like one of those like social media encounters that has just gone incredibly well. Like, you know, um, 
kindred spirits connecting over over music. I actually am not sure how um, there's this guy Jose that is um, my primary contact from Power Street Theater, uh, and they're they're a nonprofit uh, that is based out in Philly. Super awesome people, awesome work. But last year they reached out to me and they asked me um, to. Uh, be part of an interview, right? Like they had a different host last year. Somehow, um, Jose had gotten a hold of my music. I'm assuming, like you know, same thing, like connects, network, social feed, etc. So he he had um, he had heard some of my music, and uh, and he just you know similarly just appreciated the perspective and where it was coming from. So he had invited me to to you know be an interviewee. Uh, last year and so he reached out a couple of months ago and said hey um, for AAPI month uh, you know this year would you be down to host the whole month so I was like word like that's like I feel really honored I really I really genuinely do so um, they're just good people Um, they are super community oriented they they definitely do a lot to like uplift and connect folks and and honestly like, i think that that's even like really like their goal with power talks is just to drive those conversations and create connections so um and it just seems like it's a it's a collaboration that continues to grow and expand uh, we had such a great time doing the aapi um power talks this month that one of the artists that we interviewed Sinto storm i am absolutely conspiring to try to figure out how to bring her out for a Shiro Collective International Women's Day event, um, hopefully next year. She's just awesome. Um, and they've also invited me to come back and host the Power Talk series uh, in November as well. Nice. So, yeah. So, so we'll see. Like, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing that collaboration. We've been talking about like, hey, if, there, if there's opportunities for us to bring some of the things, like some of the initiatives that we do through Shiro Collective, um, if we're able to bring them out, you know, to Philly. And, and like I said, like that, that's a beautiful thing. Like when, when you find um, kindred spirits, um, those are those are relationships that, that tend to continue on, um, you know, as, as long as, as we can, right? Like good partnerships are, are something that are sometimes hard to find, but always oh, yeah. very much appreciated. Especially in the music industry, especially in this in- entertainment industry, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. so, yo, how does it feel to be Songwriter of the Year for 2022 for the International Indigenous Hip Hop Awards? Like, that's gotta feel good, right? To be nominated, to be nominated and win the award. How you feel about that? You know, it was it was an absolute blessing, and I, and I gotta say, like more than it was, it was the category, you know, and it was the organization that made that so special. Um, the category because songwriter of the year for me meant it wasn't about just one track. It was about the album as a as a whole um, as a whole project, you know, from A to Z, from start to finish, like the songs um, as well as like the the interludes, like the you know, like the whole production of it, like a whole show in and of itself, right? Like a whole audible experience. Um, so it made me feel really seen, I guess, is, is, is the first thing that I would say. Um, no doubt. No doubt. It, um, it just kind of reinforced that, like, all of the time and effort that I've put into just building my craft as a professional, um, not, not necessarily even just as an artist, but like every, like kind of what you were saying, right? Like 
um, it takes someone their entire life to do their their first album and like not just like your life experiences but like everything that I had built up um, from from the perspective of of building a craft right like yes. the writing is is the thing that's kind of sustained my professional career as a creative director or creative marketing professional um, so the fact that I was able to take all of that experience and put that into an album and, and create something that would feel like it was finessed in such a way that would merit that right so so that that for me felt really special and then on top of that the organization um, their 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 mission is so so cool um, I, I like, like I was saying before like we're kind of at this point in um, in, in human evolution that we're, we're looking years past like the history of colonialism and, and revisiting our indigenous roots and indigenous practices and finding a lot of connectivity um, in, in doing that, right? Like you, you, you start to realize, um, you know, certain beliefs were actually much more universal, in fact, right? Like certain certain um spiritual practices or medicinal practices were were actually like so much more connected so um so for me i think it's it's you know international indigenous hip-hop um is a to me signals um like the best of both worlds like recognizing that the influence and impact that hip-hop has in uh in culture and society today and the way it's helping to shape the future but also acknowledging um, the roots of where we all come from and, 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 and how that, that is all ultimately interconnected. So um, I have a lot of love for that organization. I'm really grateful to get to continue working with them. I'm actually going to be performing um, at this year's event as well. And we've got a mixtape that they're working on right now as well that we'll be dropping a track on. So just, just you know, um, just great people and a great organization and, and I, always, I always think um it's recognition is one thing but like getting recognized by people that that you have tremendous respect for always comes with like that extra that extra dose of like high vibration you know like it's, it's just it's just different it's just it's it's just different for me no doubt, like you can feel it when someone really believes in you, and you can feel it when someone genuinely don't. You just feel it, you know. And um, I think we naturally gravitate to those who believe in us, especially us artists. Um, last but not least, let's. What is Shiro Collective, and what 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 made you become a part of it? <clears throat> so Shiro Collective is a nonprofit organization that is very much in startup mode right now and evolving. So Shiro Collective first started in, I want to say 2019. Um, it goes back to just like at that particular time, I just felt like there was a lot of conversations happening around me, uh, just uh, around the context of women in hip hop just not being seen, recognized or appreciated for their contributions uh, to the culture. And, um, and I was at a point where I was like, you know what? I can do something about that. I'm a storyteller. Um, I have the ability to do that. I know some people that are looking to build out their, um, their, their portfolios as, um, as uh, cinematographers, as video producers, et cetera. I'm just gonna create a project where, you know, 
we can tell stories together and we can give women in hip hop, um, you know, the visibility. And, and it's not even just for their contributions to the culture itself, but quite frankly, to um, to the broader community, to the way that we show up and represent hip hop in every aspect of our lives, like in our jobs, in our families, like that's where the evolution of hip hop really comes from and really, you know, um, is is uh, is can have the greatest impact, right? Like it's it's one thing when we're always just kind of like in our own circle and preaching to the choir and you know we recognize each other, but it's really how we show up in in in, in the outside world that that can have a better uh, that can have a bigger impact right and, and create that future that like at least like hip-hop like everyone will tell you like you know those that are involved in, in the culture and the community will always talk about how hip-hop changed our life and opened our eyes and created you know all this connection etc but great like if if we're only doing that amongst ourselves right it's it's going to stay contained it's going to stay small but if we can show the world what it's done you know for all of us we can break down some of those misconceptions about you know what it is or who we are like that's that's where we can really continue to grow right so so that's where i started in 2019 was really just telling those community stories um but then during the pandemic um i we weren't able to do as much video production so i was just doing a lot more volunteer time with different organizations on um you know different kinds of things like helping them organize uh, um, helping them plan for things like uh breaking going in the Olympics in, in 2024 and what was needed. And, and so, you know, the more that I spent time trying to work with these organizations um, and, and I think like, you know, just everything that folks were going through during the pandemic, the more it felt like there's so many other needs that need to be addressed and no one's really clear on what exactly are all those needs. Um, how are we like figuring out who's, is anybody working on them? Who's working on them? Who's got the resources? What are those resources? Um, you know, how are all these things connected? So, so that started to kind of crystallize in my head as, um, Hey, like that's the gap, right? Like let's, let's, let's try to figure out how we can connect all of these, um, organizations and, identify the, the actual challenges and, and try to, you know, collectively move towards um, the right solutions, right? And and how are we going to measure them? How are we going to speak to them and, and know like when something is, is resolved or something is still something that needs to continue to get addressed. So I, I created the nonprofit during that time period. Again, it's still in startup mode. There's still um, a lot of work to be done in terms of getting the organization fully funded, um, getting the right structure and support into it. But what we are firmly um, clear on is that women are integral to building the future that we all want to see for ourselves, for our kids, for our communities. Um, arts and culture is the lifeblood um, that keeps us going. And so that's really where we kind of see it as a central point of, of, of how do we identify the women that we're working with. It's because these are women that come together um, either to uh, to express or to create through arts and culture. Uh, and so our goal is ultimately really just to integrate those organizations, elevate the work that they're doing, and then to celebrate the women involved, um, you know, to, to continue paying it forward. So um, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do, but it's it's really rewarding. Um, we make it a point to really first and foremost listen to 
the feedback that we're getting from from women in our community in terms of helping to identify what it is and we're trying to get a lot more strategic in the ways that we do that so uh, whether it's doing surveys um, you know through our events um, getting um, you know that feedback hopefully doing focus groups in the future but again like just having like tangible information that we can measure and point to to help drive how we create those solutions how we communicate those challenges and how we get the support that we need i love it i love it rose y'all i promise one last question we'll let you go all right (laughs) (laughs) hip-hop is turning 50 on august 11 and um it's still fairly young 50 years for, for a genre of music still fairly young compared to like rock and roll um We've seen where hip hop can go from like the street culture to the co- companies got a chance to monetize it. It became commercial. We've seen what the '90s sound like and to what what sound it turned into. We've seen it all go through so many phases this, these past fifty years. Where do you think fi- hip hop is headed for the next fifty years? Where's this? Where, where's our direction going next? You know what? That's a great question and and funny because when when One Love and I did our uh, our AAPI interview earlier, like we we actually were talking about like the 50th anniversary and we were talking about like, hey, we should do a time capsule and we should do a mixtape and we should put like, you know, what I was asking the question, like similar, like, well, what are people gonna say about hip hop, you know, a couple hundred years from now and, and this particular area, what what was the impact that we had? So I love I love the continuation of this discussion. So truthfully, where, where do I think hip hop is going to be? I, I think that you're going to continue to see variety and diversity in it. Yeah. I think um, everything from, you know, like more styles within it, um, more acceptance in it. Like, I, I think it's, you know, I, I see hip hop as, as, you know, the jazz of our generation. And so the same way that we kind of look back on jazz and all the impact that jazz and the influence that jazz has had on on so many other things, right? Like um, the way that it kind of spoke to um, the era of the time, the political situation. I think that we're, we're also going to see all those things, um, you know, when we look back on on hip hop. But I think it's it's only going to continue to grow. Um, I think that means that like you're going to see more languages, more styles that you know are. Uh, are, are new like different things that are being expressed um yeah so I, I think like hip-hop is is one of those genres that um has left an indelible mark on just humanity and uh other than other than just to say that it's 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 only going to continue to amplify itself um that's that's really like the best thing that i can say just just because there's no um hip hop was always kind of based on breaking the rules, mm. right? Like that irreverent spirit of hip hop, I think is what makes it special and, and makes it unique. And, and it also means that it's, it's, it's gonna continue to evolve and grow because I think that that's just like in the DNA of what hip hop is. It's taking what is happening today and innovating, right? Like whether that means, you know, experimenting with different sounds, recreation, like what, what, what's, I feel like there's that one saying that's so true, right? Like hip hop didn't invent anything. It reinvented everything, right? So something along those lines, but it's, it's very true. Like I think hip hop is only going to continue to reinvent itself and um, to continue to tell 
um, to, to give artists like ways of, of re-expressing like the world around them um, in different ways. Yeah, man. And as this world keeps changing, it's going to keep changing too. Um, I, I really appreciate you doing this, Rose. I'm so proud of you. You definitely got a contribution for hip hop culture. And um, thanks for the inspiration. And I'm looking forward to your new music. And to, to all those tuning in, I'm definitely going to put the album link on the page, on the episode description for this episode. And I want to say thanks to everybody tuning in. And um, Rose, thanks for doing this for real. Nah, thank you so much, bro. Big love to you. Thanks for like creating this space. And, you know, same thing. Like, I've been checking out your album as well. And, you know, much love and respect. Like, you definitely hit some solids uh, in that, you know. Like, you definitely said some realness um, in, in that album. So, big love to you and keep doing your thing. And I do hope that we, uh, you know, we stay connected and hopefully get to rock some shows together sometime, bro. No doubt. For sure. Props to you and Arkton. Keep doing your thing. I'm rooting for you guys, and uh, one love, yo. Thank you. Peace, bro. Peace, peace.